Yeah, we really didn't talk about it until I had what I would call my sexual awakening, where I started to realize that I needed and wanted more and that I was feeling really disconnected. But I would say in our early part of dating, we we talked about sex. And then something shifted where around nine months after we started dating, we stopped talking about sex. We stopped having as much sex unless we were drunk and we weren't even married yet. Um, we were not even living together yet. This is my ex-husband. And then in our marriage, we just never talked about it. another episode. I am delighted to have Violet Lang back with me, fan favorite and intimacy expert and coach and sort of a counterpart, right? I work a lot with men who have sex with women and Violet works a lot with women who have sex with men. So um, there's a lot of synergy, synergy there and we'll talk more about that. But today we're talking about how a woman can reclaim her erotic essence. So I think that um, this is a theme we've seen. I know in our clients, um, we have a lot, I would say at the moment, we have at least half our clients are single and half are in relationships. Many are married and sex and sexuality is a big part of, of why they come to us, right? So maybe they're in a sexless marriage. Maybe they want a little bit more flow in that area or something we've heard a lot is that they feel like their partners, their women partners kind of have sex with them out of a sense of obligation or duty, right? It's my wifely duty. I know this is a need he has. So fine, I'll get it over with. But that isn't, that's not satisfying. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good to the, to the men we work with. It's like, I want to feel connected to you. I want to feel the excitement and the, and the heat and the passion and the joy. And I think that that, that erotic essence is a big part of what, of how, of how that happens for a woman. So really excited for this. And, um, I feel like you have a lot of, uh, experience, right. With your clientele and personally, in this area. So I thought we could maybe sort of start with when we're using the word reclaim, it's because it's been lost, right? It's been lost. Something has been lost. So can you say a little about what your experience has been and your clients, your women clients with like, how did they lose touch with their erotic essence? What happened? Because a lot of relationships start out hot and heavy and then not so much. Yes. The list is long, (laughs) but the top top parts of the list would be mothering, work stress, sexual trauma, building up of resentments towards your partner, and cultural confusion and mixed messages that once you're in a relationship, you only should be sexual and have that feeling with your partner. God forbid you have it with yourself or that you feel that with the world or that you feel that in connection. And coupled with that there's 
the hormones that change as you get to know someone in relationships. So even the most divinely erotically connected woman after two to three years, sometimes even less with her partner, it will start to feel normalized because you've integrated each other's hormones and there's not that sense of freshness and newness. So reclaiming it is essential. Even if you didn't have all of those eight things I just mentioned. Yeah, that was a, that was the comprehensive list. I think let's go through those a little bit because each of them is different, but I do think that they all combine in a way. Um, and I would love to hear, you know, your own experience with motherhood, right? So a lot of the couples that we work with do go through that transition of being a couple and then parenting together and a woman becoming a mother is a whole process, right? There's, you know, the pregnancy part, the having the child, the infancy part, and then you're kind of still in toddlerhood <laughs> with your daughter. But how how did having a child affect you in your sexuality, in your in your erotic essence? What was that like? It was a huge change. I mean, even starting with pregnancy, because my hormones and libido actually went way up and my partners went down. And so we had this mis- mismatched desire. And I think a lot of listeners probably relate to that, regardless of whether the man has higher desire than the woman or what, that when there's a mismatch in desire, it feels so freaking lonely. It's like the sweet spot is not only, you know, orgasming at the same time or something, but like both feeling like you want each other at the same time. And that's not always easy to to pull off. So it started in pregnancy and then you know, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm quite sensitive, like anatomically sensitive. And so the pregnancy post-pregnancy post-birth was refreshing in some ways because I could like experience more sensation without feeling like it was too much for me. So we were able to try some things that normally would be a lot. However, then the level of like resentment or frustration or just stress on us, having a child in the pandemic, among other things, it's like, in some ways my body became less sensitive, but my mind and my heart became more sensitive. And so there was more of a mismatch. And I would say earlier in our relationship, I mean, especially when we were dating, but even after we got married, it's like, we'd be in a good patch for months and then we might hit a rocky patch and then we might be in a good patch again for months. I think as a mother, it's like, you're in a good patch for a few days or a few weeks. And then you're like, Oh fuck, why didn't he load the dishes again, or like, you know, just so much more comes up. So it feels like you kind of have to walk that edge and be so mindful and so intentional about your emotional life, your erotic life, your um, communication styles. So everything has just gotten, gotten more intense. However, with that, both of us have become a lot more intentional and we are able to recover quicker. And then we did in those times when we were early dating, where a hard patch would happen after a few months and it would take us a few weeks to get out of it. Now it might take us a few days or sometimes a few hours to get out of it. So we've gotten better as a couple too, which for me is so essential because I was in a sexless marriage. My first marriage was sexless. So both Jason and I said at the beginning of our relationship, when we started dating, that sex was important to us, but it takes more than just an intention because of all those things that I talked about. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up sexless relationships because I do think that there's a, I don't know if I would call it an epidemic, but there is a serious and pervasive trend of sexless relationships and specifically sexless marriages. 
I saw a study that estimated it's about 15% of marriages. I actually think that number is higher. And psychologists define a sexless relationship as one in which the couple is having sex 10 times a year or fewer, meaning just under once a month. So that that is the definition. And by that definition, many people that I am aware of have experienced that, whether in their current relationship or a past relationship. And to your point, there's something, uh, what is the word? Demoralizing. There, It can be demoralizing to feel like you're with a partner that you're attracted to and they don't want sex with you or you're with a partner and you don't want sex with them, but they want it from you. And you can feel that pressure of like, they want it. And and you kind of feel like you quote unquote should, but you don't really want to. And then you're faced with that. Like, do I just do it, you know, to satisfy them? But when it's not really my authentic truth or do I say no? And then if I say no, do they pout? Do I get punished in some other way? It's complicated. The the dance of two people wanting sex with each other, you know, to your point, at the same time or in the same uh, amount is actually pretty challenging. And and I don't think always realistic. Well, it's probably not realistic. Like everyone in their relationship, if it's a long term ongoing relationship, will be navigating this in some way. And one thing I really liked about what you just said was. It's not about whether we're going to hit rocky patches or whether we're going to have conflict or tension. It's it's more like we are going to have that. How skillfully can we navigate it? And that's that is something that I think I really liked about what you said, which is it used to take us a few weeks, then it take us took us a few days. Now we can kind of get it done in a few hours and of course it depends, but I think that that's, that's something to shoot for. Right. And I, I admire that about you two as a team. And I think that's something that I'm passionate about supporting individuals and couples. I've been working more with couples so that they're proactive about it instead of reactive about it. Like, how do we actually learn how to do this before we need to, right? How do we learn how to repair and what are the big themes that are probably going to come up in our relationship? And I'm encouraged by seeing more and more couples and individuals leaning into building relationship skills so that when they need them, they have them. So, oh yeah. Comments. Yes. I was just going to say, absolutely. Because to your point, it is going to happen and it can then be like a slippery slope of how long you go without sex. I mean, I'm imagining that anyone listening has had the moment where they're in the shower or they wake up in bed and their partner's already gotten up for the day or they're going to sleep and their partner's already asleep. And they think to themselves, man, how many weeks has it been? Are we ever going to have sex again? What if my, what if my turn on doesn't come back? Oh, what if they want to have sex this weekend when we have a date planned? Like the mental agony that we put into whether we are or aren't being, being sexually satisfied and met. And that study of 10, 10 times a year, I agree that, I mean, I, I talk with women and work with women who haven't had sex for three, four, five years since they got pregnant with their last child or, um, you know, their partner is in the military and gets deployed and then he comes back and, you know, things are different than when he left and different in terms of like relational chemistry and relational dynamic. And there's so many circumstances, long distance relationships, 
And I know from my own history and that of some of my clients, when we go a really long time, the on-ramp to sex becomes harder to get on. It's like a steeper on-ramp. And so some people have to resort to like drinking or smoking weed or watching porn or like doing something to get up that hill so that they're ready to have sex with their partner. And that's hard then because you're basically creating a pattern in your ner- in your nervous system that the more I check out, the more available I am sexually. Yeah. And I, I've, I've also worked with a number of men where the, the length of time blows my mind, right? Like we haven't had sex in 12 years or we have sex maybe once a year on someone's birthday. And that's about it. And part of what really surprises me is how long couples can go without addressing something hugely important in the relationship. Like I'm constantly surprised by, you know, well, have you, you know, have you talked about it? Is this something kind of on the table? And the answer is basically no, right? Like we haven't had a meaningful discussion about it because it feels really scary. It feels really scary. It feels like if we actually talk about what's going on, we might have to do something about it. And, and there's a lot of fear around like relationship ending conversations or potential, potential relationship ending conversations, especially when there are children involved, there's a mortgage involved, people's lives are entwined, you know, it's complex. And so there's a way that it can be easy to just shunt it down the road or just kind of deny or just not kind of get into it. And I'm curious because you did mention that you were in a, in the position of being in a sexless relationship. How did you, and did, was that true of you and your partner? You just didn't really talk about it. Like how did that work? Yeah, we really didn't talk about it until I had what I would call my sexual awakening where I started to realize that I needed and wanted more. And that I was feeling really disconnected, but I would say in our early part of dating, we, we talked about sex and then something shifted where around nine months after we started dating, we stopped talking about sex. We stopped having as much sex unless we were drunk and we weren't even married yet. Um, we were not even living together yet. This is my ex-husband. And then in our marriage, we just never talked about it. And I was one of those people that you mentioned earlier who out of obligation, I like am cringing and embarrassment about to share this. And this is nothing against my former partner, but I remember we would go to bed at night. I would feel like my wifely duty was to give him a hand job every once in a while, because I don't know why, I guess I was conditioned for my own trauma and otherwise that you need to meet a man's sexual needs, whether he expresses them to you or not, you should just intuit your man's sexual needs and always be a yes to them. He was also shut down sexually. So he wasn't even pursuing me. We weren't having sex, but, but, you know, every few months I would basically give him a hand job. And that's, that was our sex life for the last three years of our marriage. I think we had sex maybe once a year, the last three years of our marriage. And the last few times we had sex, I was always drunk and saying, why don't you just fuck me? Why don't you want me? Why don't you put me on the counter? Why don't you like, you know, try something new here? And I don't remember exactly what he would say, but it would always be like, oh, I'm a schmuck. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just feeling depressed and I'm, I'm don't want to mock mental illness, but it's just that we had, we had so much of a disconnect that unless I was drunk and begging him for it, I didn't even know how to talk about it. I didn't know at the time that this was going to end the relationship. 
I just knew that I wasn't feeling super connected and I felt scared. Yeah. Say more about what you say more about you felt scared. I think I felt trapped because I felt scared of losing him. I felt scared of bringing it up and being blamed or shamed or told that I wasn't attractive enough or, you know, told that this was in my head or even worse told like, oh, this is just what happens in relationship because that wasn't the type of relationship I wanted. And so, and on the other hand, I was scared of staying in a sexless relationship because neither of us really communicated that well. I didn't have any trust or faith that sex talking about sex was going to be any different. And so I didn't necessarily think, oh, if I bring this to him, it's going to get better. We're going to get through this. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. I remember telling one of my friends, maybe only six months or a year after we had been married, but I think at that time we had, again, maybe had sex once in the six to 12 months after we got married. We didn't even have sex once on our honeymoon. So like that is an indicator, but, but it doesn't have to be that extreme for you to be not, not satisfied sexually in your relationship. But I remember telling a friend, I feel really like not connected sexually at all to my partner. I don't know if this is normal, but this is just my cross to bear. You know, I said yes to this relationship. This is just how it's going to be. I guess that's, I was 23 at the time, but this, but, but I just thought, okay, I'm going to live the rest of my life, giving my husband hand jobs every few months and never, never having sex. So yeah, let's talk about what's normal and what's not, because I think that's, I think this is such a good example of, it's such a mystery, right? We never really know. I can't tell you the number of moments I've had in relationship where I think to myself, is this normal to other, are other people feeling this way in a relationship? Is it me? And I think that's a very common human experience in my sex research. What I have found is that 49% of men have ended a relationship over the sex, including marriages, and 61% of women have done so, including marriages. And I, you know, I've talked about this on other podcasts, but I was surprised by that number. That was a number that shocked me because I thought, like I think many of us do, I thought sex is more important to men than to women. That number, I I was expecting the women's number to be half, around half of the men's number, and it was actually more. And that's you know, it's complicated. It's a, it's complex. It's not any one thing, but in your case, it actually was that you grew actually sexually and otherwise, and it became a non-starter. It's like, I, you know, unless this gets addressed and unless we, we, unless you get help for this husband, you know, this isn't enough. Like this isn't enough. I'm not willing for this to be enough. What I find encouraging, and I know you've worked with clients like this, is that when you do have two people who are willing to do the thing and go to the go to the places necessary to go to, you can get through it. It actually, it's not a death sentence. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is it isn't actually a deal breaker unless one person is like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to grow. I don't want to look at the difficult stuff. I'm not willing, et cetera. And of course we've, I've worked with many men who have had a partner like that. Now you have worked with women who have, you know, basically come to you and said things like, my man is really growing. I know this is a part of our relationship. I know sex is a part of our relationship that 
I have been scared to kind of really go into because either I have a trauma background or I don't really know what I'm going to find when I go there. And what we have right now is comfortable for me, but it's, but, but he has said in an attuned way, I need this to shift. I need us both to grow. I need you to look at your stuff in order for this to be enough. And it has worked. So I guess I just want to say, as we're going through this discussion, it does work, right? Personal growth works. And when you're both committed in a partnership, it's surprising how much you can, how much you can do and how much of an awakening you can have. And I've definitely seen that in multiple clients where they they have gone through an awakening together. And a lot of emotional closeness has also come from the sexual closeness, which is encouraging because we know that those are connected, but I think sometimes it gets, it gets confusing. And, you know, you and I were chatting earlier about the, the sort of perception that, oh, like reclaiming your erotic essence means buying a vibrator and some lingerie. And there's nothing, we don't have anything against vibrators and lingerie. We think they're great. But if there's, for example, untreated trauma, it's going to trump the fucking vibrator every time. I mean, <laughs> the vibrator has no chance, right? There's, it's an and, not a solution. And I think a lot of the sort of beauty magazine type, like this is how to, you know, get sexy. It's like, well, actually what's really sexy is a woman who's genuinely connected to her pleasure. And that's, I think where, where we're going to start to go here is how does a woman actually reclaim her erotic essence? Because it sounds like that's a bit of what you did, you know, out of that marriage or well, really during the, the end of it. Yeah. I mean, I just want to highlight what you said about the emotional connection and the sexual connection and how intertwined they are. And we might think, well, my sexual needs aren't getting met or I'm not meeting my partner's sexual needs, but you know, I have kids and I have pressures and all these things. But when we start to take away the sex, we take away the range of emotional connection as well. And then things just become flat and like a roommate. And one of my clients said something when we first started working together and she said, you know, I just thought my partner would wait until I was ready to have sex again. But then I realized that like four years is just too long for anyone to wait. And I think sometimes men will say similar things. Like I just thought my, my partner would wait until I became more emotionally attuned. I thought she would just give me some patience, give me some grace. It's like, I don't think anyone should have to wait years to get a deep sexual or emotional need met. Like this is why we're in partnership together. I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about, because I agree the, the it's too long to wait years and most people don't have this, the communication skills to say, I'm suffering. I'm, I'm committed to you and I'm committed to my own growth. I'm committed to my own journey. And I'm scared that we don't align here are you willing to look at this? Like with that speech I just gave, most people do not have access to those words. They just, they don't know how to start the conversation. They're scared of how the conversation ends, you know? So yeah, you know, in you, in your personal lived experience of, um, that marriage, when you were going through your sexual awakening, were you able to like talk to your partner about that and ask him, you know, are you willing to address this? Or was it just sort of a clusterfuck? It was a clusterfuck. I mean, 
I, first of all, I couldn't really talk about it until I was drunk. And then second of all, I had a lot of trauma that I had not really looked at or dealt with yet. And so pretty much everything was a projection. Like I was saying, well, you know, I want you to claim me and I want you to be more like this and this and this person, but that's awful to like compare him to someone I want him to be like, you know, so that was really shallow and mean and all those things. So I didn't really have the words to tell him what I wanted and give an example or paint a picture because I didn't know how I felt inside. I didn't know what I wanted to feel inside or the ways that I could bring myself to pleasure or, um, my deepest needs, which were to be able to be vulnerable sexually, emotionally, and otherwise. So we didn't, you know, we didn't have the tools. And if I knew now what I knew then, and he was willing, we would have, we would still be together. Like he's not a bad person. There was nothing inherently like wrong, but I don't think he was willing. I don't think I was able to express what I needed. And I, um, I just didn't know. I didn't have the tool, the toolkit that I have now. It's like, you need the willingness and you need the toolkit and you need to have both of those. And if you just have one, have the willingness, but then start getting the tools. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's the, that is something that I've, I've witnessed a lot of our men kind of wrestling with is like, does, is my partner willing? Does she have the willingness? And I would imagine some of your clients, same thing of, is my partner willing? Does he want to grow? Whether that's sexually or emotionally, I need you to be more open. I need you to let me in more. Are you, are you, are you down for that? Are you interested in that? Does, is that something you want to do? Because if it's not, this isn't going to work. And that's scary. That's really tough. So in your own journey, you know, around that time of your kind of sexual awakening, how did that work? What was that like for you? You know, reclaiming that essence? I mean, we say reclaim, but do you feel like you'd actually ever had it or was this an actual awakening? I think I had access to what I'll call life force energy when I was younger. You know, the feeling of like jumping into a cold pool or being out in nature or eating, you know, cold watermelon on a hot day, like these, these sensory experiences that can be very erotic. I wouldn't have called it erotic, you know, when I was younger, but I think there was a deeper connection to my body and specifically my body related to nature and the five senses that I really lost touch with as I got into academics, as I got into my career, as I got into doing work emails until 11 PM at night. And, um, that was even, you know, before kids, but it's like, I lost the little bit that I had and the majority of what I lost was because of my trauma, but even the, the part that remains, because I think no matter our trauma, we, the flame never goes out. We never lose it, but it becomes dampened. And then it can become more and more dampened because we don't know how to grow that flame in a way that feels like it won't burn us. Ooh, I like this analogy. I have also heard the, the pilot light analogy of we all have the pilot light of our sexual essence or erotic essence. And, and it it can get, it can get real, real small. It never actually gets extinguished, but it can get very small, but there are things that we can do to stoke it and to bring it back to life and to coax it back to life and to bring it, you know, more into, you know, reality. And I'm curious because I think a lot of people will have this question. 
for you, what is the difference between eroticism and sexuality? What, when you're, when you're using that word or when we're using that word, what are we talking about? Yeah, for me, sexuality, and this is partly just because of the culture we live in is about intercourse or orgasm or something to do with genitals. And to me, eroticism is about ecstasy, is about union, is about the realness, the authenticity of what's flowing in through you. So you could have emotional eroticism, you could have nature-based eroticism, you could have spiritual eroticism, relational eroticism. It's not limited to genitals. It's not limited to one particular person or one type of experience. It's about really being in that flow with something bigger than you that, that is the same energy that creates life. It's the same energy that makes a baby, but we don't have to use that towards procreation. We can use that towards creation of the relationship or the things that we want to experience in our life or in the world. I love that. When I think about eroticism, I think about dance. I'm a dancer and I've done a lot of partner dance in my life, done a lot of studio dance. And I think about just a really good song and a really good dance. It's like, ooh, I'm in the flow. I'm feeling it. Uh, if it's a partner dance, I'm my partner's feeling it. And it doesn't mean I'm going to fuck that person, right? I'm not necessarily going to be sexual with that person, but there's like a zing. There's a zing. There's a thing happening. You can feel it. You can feel it in my voice right now. Like to me, that's eroticism is like there's heat, there's um, life, like you said, there's essence, there's flow, there's something's happening. Something is happening. And that is exciting. And then can obviously flow into sexuality, right? But that that sense of, of being connected to something greater, I think something to pay attention to in this is that it's we're talking about right brain stuff. When we're talking about eroticism, we're not talking about thinking, figuring out uh, what we tend to associate with the masculine pole, right? Or alpha energy, which is more logical and straightforward and um, getting my to-do list done and things like that. That's not eroticism. That's not the feminine flow at whether you're in whatever kind of body you're in, that zing, that heat, that flow, that fire is lives elsewhere. It lives elsewhere. And, and many of us, are disconnected from that kind of thing in our lives. So if you're listening to this, you're probably like, yeah, I don't spend a lot of time there. Like (laughs) I don't spend a lot of time there. I spend a lot of time on my computer. Uh, Maybe I play some games on my phone. Maybe I watch, maybe I watch porn, but, but not a lot of that kind of uh, creativity or sensuality, which is different from sexuality. And, and there's something really important about that because in my experience, with my own erotic essence and doing women's programs and all of it, the part about reclaiming my erotic essence is, for example, I love raspberries, right? Eating like melted chocolate and raspberries. I love it. It's sensual. It's delicious. It makes me happy or um, really soft things like really soft blankets or, you know, it's like the programs are like, let's talk about your five senses. Let's talk about your body. Let's talk about what nourishes you, not just your clitoris. So reclaiming erotic essence, when we're talking about this, it's bigger, it's more, it's more vast. It's more, it's bigger than just, do you want to fuck your partner more? Like it's not really 
it's, I mean, that's partly what it's about, but it's really bigger than that. And, and I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit too, cause you've worked with a lot of women of what, what women's experience is in sort of getting into that more right-brained place and, and, and noticing like, wow, I've really been kind of malnourished here. Like it's, it, I hadn't, I didn't think this is what this course was going to be about. Yeah. What I find is that as they get more into their sensuality, they not only feel more connected to their sexuality, but they start making more money because they know how to receive and create and flow and speak their desires. They start having what I call pleasure quests, like, oh, I, you know, went to this weekend workshop just because it seemed like fun, or I booked myself this fancy massage that I thought I wanted to do with a partner, but turns out was great to do with myself. And, And then there's this chasm to cross. It's like they fill up with their five senses, their sensuality, it's radiating, it's beautiful, but they still have to be able to reveal that to someone else. They still have to be willing to be seen in that. They have to be able to invite their partner into that when their partner is having a hard day or their partner's on their phone or stressed out. They have to be courageous enough to say, huh, I'm going to do a little sexy dance for him, or I'm going to reveal, you know, my, my lingerie, or I'm going to reveal my heart. When I was in my early twenties, I think it was 20 at the time, the first boyfriend that I had ever had sex with, um, I like visited him, surprise visited him. We, we lived like three hours away during the summertime between col- uh, two of our college years. And I wore lingerie on the plane because one of my friends said, Oh, if you're surprising him, wear lingerie on the plane. And I can't remember. I've told this in other podcast episodes, but I wore it on the plane. I put a trench coat on top of myself and When I got picked up by him from the airport, I was shaking. I was so frozen and so shut down and felt so exposed, even though he didn't know what I was wearing, that we got back to his apartment. I immediately went into the bathroom with my suitcase, took off my lingerie and just put on my regular clothes because it was too nauseating to imagine revealing this to him. And then when I revealed to Jason, like with my lingerie, it's coming from a different place. It's really coming for myself but I'm inviting him into it. That's a really good point about the difference in the motivation and the, right, someone else said, oh, this is a thing you should do. And I I feel like that's very in keeping with our culture of like, men have sexual needs and it's your job to meet their sexual needs. I just, I do think that there's elements of um, expectations and all of that in, in here versus this is a part of myself that is a, is a gift and I want to share with my partner and I, and it's still fucking scary. I've done the lingerie reveal as well. And I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, this is so scary. And that's, I think really saying something. Cause I think that, you know, both of us hold a certain amount of privilege around. We look similar to a lot of what our culture holds as, you know, a, a symbol of beauty or whatever the fuck. And, and so now I imagine not being that right. And, and, you know, like revealing only gets harder, I guess is what I'm saying on the scale of things. And that's something that I think is, is edgy. And I really like what you said about, you know, there's this other level of like reclaiming it for yourself. So now, oh, okay, there's my pilot light. I can feel it. And you know, I've mentioned dance before for me, I can really feel a difference in my erotic essence when I am consistently dancing versus when I'm not. And when I'm not, I feel more flat in my life. I feel less joy. Um, it's like, it's like a, it's hard to describe. It's like, 
if you put um, a towel over a speaker, like the music is still there, but it just doesn't, it's not as clear. It's not as sharp. It's just sort of muffled. I feel more muffled in general in my life when I'm not dancing or otherwise sort of expressing that erotic essence. And I can feel the difference when I am, I just feel brighter. I feel more vibrant. Again, that is separate from whether I'm having sex with someone, whether I'm in a relationship or not. And then when I am, right? A a little bit more lit up and all that. I still have to, there's still then the edge of like letting my partner see that side of me. Right. And that's kind of to your point of, you can be really filled up and excited and lit up and, and also not really want to reveal. And so there's a, it's another one of these ands, right? We need this and we need that. And that has been a worthwhile edge uh, for, for me of revealing. And I've been pretty fortunate that I think a lot of the partners I've had have been supportive. Not everybody is, but I think that it is important to just keep in mind, um, how edgy that is right for the, the revealing part and, and, and how worthwhile it is in terms of building connection between, you know, between us. So, um, do you feel like that has kind of gotten easier for you as you've gotten a lot as you? Yeah. Can you say a little about that? So much easier. I mean, the, despite all the work I had done on myself, the first time I revealed my, my, like my lingerie to Jason, I had worn lingerie underneath this hooded sweatshirt. This zip up long hooded sweatshirt. on like a Wednesday night when we were grabbing pizza and we go back to his apartment and I start undressing and he's like, Whoa. And I don't do the full thing. I just literally unzip it. And then I'm like, just hold me (laughs) because it was so vulnerable. And we had only been dating, I think like two months. So we, we didn't have like all the emotional depth that we have now, but I feel like I want to be an am, at least I would say I, I am erotically generous with my partner because it feeds the relationship, which creates a positive feedback loop, which feeds me as well. And because it's a type of mother and woman that I want to be as someone who's erotically generous with my life force, with my sensuality, with my, you know, one of my favorite things to do with Jason is to say, what flavor of the feminine are you craving? And then to make a little playlist or invite him to make a playlist and then to do a sexy dance for him wearing lingerie or heels or whatever, sometimes nothing, you know, whatever it is. But I didn't get there just by deciding from my head, oh, I need to dance more. I need to look sexy. It was a deep internal journey. And I just want to say that when we do reward our, when there is a big reward when we when we reveal, because when we reveal, we always get information about the other person's attunement or depth or, you know, what they need in, in the situation. And Sometimes it takes men, what I found with my female clients who are partnered with men, it takes them a little bit longer. So I have a client whose relationship has gone in and out of, I'd say, vibrant or not so vibrant sex life. They've been together for a while. They don't have kids, but they both have pretty stressful jobs. And I think they've been together for five years or or six years or so. And they will go like six months at a time without sex. So it's not like they are just um, always on the same page. But whenever she is in her feminine, doing her embodiment work, working through her trauma, connected to other women in a, in a you know container that supports her in this journey, and she takes the risk to reveal to him, always within a few weeks, if not a few months, they're having great sex. But she has to be willing to tend her garden, as I call it. Like, okay, I'm going to reveal, we're going to have sex, and then maybe we won't have sex for another few weeks. 
but then we're getting back into our rhythm. So I just want to share that the risk to me is always worth the reward because you're either getting really good information or you're getting more connection and that connection then will take time to build sometimes, but you're resetting that foundation versus if you're not revealing, then six months becomes a year, becomes three years. And then you're questioning if you want to be in the relationship or they might be questioning that. And to be clear, when you're saying the word reveal right now, you're not just talking about revealing one's body with lingerie. Can you say no. that of, of, right. Cause it, it could sound like that, but it's more like revealing your heart or, you know, what, what do you mean? Yes. By I mean, to me, reveal is revealing anything that has a charge to it, because if there's not a charge, it wouldn't be hidden in the first place, but it's, it's the tender parts of ourselves, you know, Oh, I, I need to know that you think I'm still beautiful. Oh, I need to know that you desire me. Uh, I need to know that you'll massage me and not expect sex afterwards. Oh, I need to know that that we're okay, that I don't need to worry about you cheating on me because I noticed you checking out that other woman the other day. Like all of these insecurities and tenderness, but also our desire. Like, oh, I want you to know that there's actually some kinks I want to explore or I read this book or saw this video, or my friend told me about this new toy and I'm feeling kind of lonely. And I'm wondering if you would ever want to explore that with me. Like these sort of emotions, conversations, desires, insecurities, fantasies, like there's, there's an infinite amount of things for us to reveal that could have, or may not have anything to do with pure intercourse or sexuality. Yeah. I thank you for speaking to that. Cause I think that's in, in my experience, it's such a brave, it's such a brave act revealing. Revealing is, and I'm going to couch this in sort of masculine and feminine terms, but it doesn't matter what kind of body you have or genitalia you have, but there's something about the feminine revealing their heart. You know, we talk about that a lot and it can be, you know, I think what's relevant for this discussion is a hurt feeling, right? So like a couple of days ago, this thing happened in the kitchen and it hurt my feelings. And I've been noticing, I've been holding on to it and I've been not giving you the silent treatment, but just a little more checked out and just not as excited. And I'm sorry, I didn't tell you sooner. I didn't know how to say it. And, and this is why, because you said this thing about your family and I really take pride in knowing you and your family. And you thought that I got it wrong, but I didn't, whatever. I'm just giving an example, but the revealing of hurt feelings I find for couples is a major source of, um, a major place people need to become skillful because this is very frequent that I have seen where small resentments build, especially for some reason, what I've seen is women have small resentments, <laughs> like little things happen that hurt our heart, that pierce our heart. And it could be as small as I was sharing this really vulnerable thing about my day in the car and you were on your phone and I didn't say anything at the time because I was like, oh, it's so small. I'll just get over it. But it actually really hurt my feelings. I really, really needed your attention in that moment. I just was craving like a, some kind of acknowledgement and blah, blah, blah. And, and so that happens once it happens twice. It happens three times. Now there's a pattern. And then what I've seen often is the woman's like, I don't know why I don't want to have sex with him when it's like, well, because you're pissed. <laughs> like you're, you're because your little heart is like, fuck that. I I'm hurt and I'm hurt. And I haven't revealed my truth because 
you know, for a whole variety of reasons. And, and the fact is, you know, to your point, you, you mentioned the word information when we reveal, like, say, I say like, I'm, I'm noticing, like, I'm, I'm feeling distant from you. I feel like we haven't been connecting that much lately. And I, when I trace it back, you know, there's this thing that happened that hurt my feelings. And I, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want it to be a big deal. And, and here's what happened when, when, when I am willing to extend myself in that way, then I get to see how he responds. Then I get to see how he responds. That's the information. So if he says, thank you for telling me, I didn't, I did sense the distance and I wasn't sure what was going on. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't more present. You know, I'm sorry. I was, I was on my phone. I I wasn't there for you when you needed me. And it can be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be a magnificent, gigantic, you know, blow up fight. It can actually just be, yeah, I hear that. I hear that you really needed me in this way and I wasn't there. And it doesn't have to mean you're a bad man or that you're, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to mean all these things. And if you, you know, respond well, then she's more likely to share again in the future, et cetera. But if, if someone shares and this goes for either in either direction, they share and the person's like, well, of course I was on my phone. I was organizing that thing for you later. It's like, oh no, like that, that's not going to have that part feel met, you know? And, and that's the thing is that we all have different parts of ourselves and it's usually the young parts that are not very logical. And, and the adult part might totally understand that, but the young part is still like, I needed you and you weren't there. And I, and it feels bad. (laughs) And I just want to be acknowledged of like, oh, you needed me and I wasn't there. And then it's kind of fine. But that, that reveal that, that act of generosity then does you get information about how the person responds to that. And that goes in either direction and can be a huge source of connection or disconnection. And for many of us, that was not role modeled in our homes. We did not learn how to do that. We didn't see anybody do that. If anybody did express vulnerability in the home, they were either shut down or just ignored. Like, no, that's not true. Like, don't be sad, right? Don't cry. Like, imagine actually how weird that is of a response that's been normalized in our culture is someone's upset, they're crying and someone says, don't cry. And that's supposed to be um, comforting when actually it should be like, I'm right here with you as you cry. I I'm I'm right here. I'm right here. That's that's the healthy response which we are not really taught. And so that's something that I think couples have to relearn and is directly related to eroticism and sex. And I think that's the part that gets missing is we we think it's this separate category. Like sex is over here this thing we do in the bedroom has nothing to do with my feelings getting hurt 5 days ago. And well actually you know, your pussy is like clenched <laughs> because your body's clenched. So yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how you have worked with your clients in the past of, as we, you sort of outlined at the beginning, there are many layers to this and this is one of the layers, you know, how, how has that gone? Yeah. Usually the first step is getting in touch more with our bodies and then with our hearts and then with our pussies. And so you know, you you can't think like, I want to become more sexual. So I'm just going to get a new vibrator. Just like we were talking about, I'm just going to wear lingerie. It's like, oh, I need to connect to my five senses. I need to connect to feeling safe. I need to better understand what's going on in my nervous system. If I'm more anxious or more avoidant, I don't need to necessarily go into the memories of what happened with my trauma, but I need to kind of sense 
huh, you know, maybe there's trauma I haven't looked at, or, oh, I know there is trauma that I want to look at or need to look at, or something just doesn't feel quite right, whether it's trauma or not. I know that I'm only living, you know, 20% of my capacity sexually or whatever it is. And then as we start feeling more safe and more connected to our body and that in internal compass of like boundaries and yes and no, and open and close that somatic experiencing, then we can go into our heart more and grieve like, oh my God, I'm so sad. I'm so disconnected from my husband. I'm so sad. I haven't had sex in this long. I'm so, you know, pissed that like society tells me that I shouldn't as a woman or as a good Christian or whatever those stories are. And then as we start to process some of those, some of that grief, we can do some of that emotional repair work, sometimes directly with our partner, sometimes with a coach or therapist, sometimes in a group, a group of, of people who are both deeply committed. This is different than like bitching to your friends over a glass of wine that your partner hasn't done the things he needs to do around the house. And therefore you're not having sex or whatever it is like, like deeply intentional experiences of feeling and revealing And from that place, then normally we feel a relaxation in our body and an openness to connect to that life force energy that was getting blocked by those emotions or by that trauma. And so the safety, the feeling, and then that's when we can start exploring, oh, well, would my body be open to touch right now from myself or from a partner? What type of touch might I want? Oh, yoni egg that might, I'm open to trying that. That might feel nice. Or oh yeah, I I haven't orgasmed with a partner or with my partner internally. And I want to orgasm with my partner internally. Maybe that's something that I can explore by myself and then with my partner. Like all of these things start opening up, but that's kind of the journey that I, that I usually take someone on. And then sometimes I can go into very fun spiritual dimensions too. Like, okay, I'm having sex with my partner. We're enjoying orgasm. Now, what can I do with my sexuality? Let's do some sex magic. Let's do some intention setting. Let's try some different yoni eggs. You know, let's try some orgasms or positions or kinks that we haven't tried. Like so much is then possible, but um, you have to have that kind of foundation. And I do just want to share, I, I know I imagine someone listening might be like, oh my gosh, but what if my partner is never going to be as attuned as I need when I reveal, or, you know, what if they're not willing to do their work? And my invitation is to just go first, to be the leader. It does not mean you're in your masculine. If you choose to work on these things, if you choose to become kind of the, um, the leader of revealing in your relationship, it doesn't mean that your partnership isn't going to work. I can't tell you how many clients have come to me in a bit of despair and panic. And then as they start to get their sexuality back for themselves, their person starts to open up more and more and be more connected to them. And I've even had clients whose partner said to them, I love you, but I don't know if I'm in love with you. And I don't know if I can get that back. And then months later, oh my God, I love you so much. I'm so sorry. I was so disconnected. I just was really stressed at work and all these things were going on. Meanwhile, they've been doing all this work on themselves to reclaim their feminine and their erotic. And so it can happen within a matter of months that you can have a thriving sex life. Everyone's trauma is different, obviously, but I just want to say that there is a lot of hope that it doesn't have to be this way. And that even if you don't think your partner is attuned, they might surprise you. They might be attuned enough to meet you to where you're growing at right now. I think that's well said. And the, the trick is you, you don't actually know until you try. And I remember a few of my mentors, Justin, Patrick Pearson, London, Angel Winters. I remember Justin saying, a lot of women are looking for a conscious man, but men don't just walk around being conscious. It it takes someone to wake them up 
to be conscious in that moment. So meaning when often when we reveal and are actually embodied in the revealing. So being connected to our bodies and saying, I'm really nervous to tell you this. And I really, I do want us to be close. And I have this thing on my heart. Do you have a minute? Feels really different from, I have something I need to share with you. When is a good time? Right. You can feel the difference. There's a difference in feeling and revealing versus just telling someone something. And so all of the things you're talking about are really important in terms of the preparation for this whole thing. But that um, really has always stayed with me of, you know, it's not like there's just conscious men wandering around just like in their conscious consciousness all the conscious fucking time. That's not really how it works. It's more like they can meet a moment. If the if the moment comes where there's a reveal or there's vulnerability, then they're more like they're sort of like moths to a flame. Then it's like, oh, now I'm gonna show up. I'm showing up. There's something important I want to provide to my woman. Like here I am. And and it's, you know, there's a there's a way that that can happen. And that what you described to me is the essence of polarity, right? She's dropped into her body, she's in her feelings, she's willing to do the thing. She's doing the thing. And all of a sudden her partner's like, ooh, there's that thing over there. Like that looks really good. And it's not what we're talking about, right? Maybe it's lingerie, but it's probably not. It's probably just, she's feeling better in her body. She's more filled up. She's more nourished. Like the way she's moving around the kitchen is different. He can feel that. He can feel that. Just the same way that she can feel his conscious awareness when he's really dropped in. It's like, ooh, I want to be over there. I want to go be with that. And there is a, there can be a polarity shift, like you said, in a relationship pretty quickly. It doesn't have to take forever. And um, I'd love to hear, yeah, a little bit about, you know, the transformations that you've witnessed in your clients. You know, that was a great example of she was taking responsibility for her stuff. And in doing so, he kind of was like, oh, now I'm willing to do more and to grow as well because she was brave and went first. Do you have any other sort of, you know, examples of, for example, the sort of archetype we were talking about before of a couple, maybe they had a child and it's been sexless for a while and they're kind of like, this isn't really working. And maybe one of them's like, I'm going to walk soon if this doesn't shift. You know, have you worked with anyone in, in sort of dire straits? I've worked with a lot of women who are mothers, sometimes for the first time, sometimes they have multiple kids. And it's usually when their child is two, three, four years old, when they realize like, oh yeah, something in our relationship isn't working. We're not connecting emotionally and, or we're not connecting sexually. Sometimes they come to me because their partner has said, if this doesn't change, I don't know how I can stay in this relationship. I love you. I don't want this to end, but like, I, I can't go five, six years without sex. I don't want to you know, be like my parents, maybe it's a family pattern or I don't want to, you know, um, go without that need being met. And then sometimes it's the woman saying, I want this back. I want this part of me back. Or I want to experience that for the first time. I I'm realizing that I haven't been sexually fulfilled for most of my life. And I'm hoping I can get there with, with my partner, with the person that I love. So sometimes it's a little bit of pressure or, or, discontent from the partner. Sometimes it's just this inner knowing that there's something bigger and deeper and better sexually and beyond. But this motherhood transition is really, really important because it doesn't necessarily become easier unless we put energy behind it. It's not like all of a sudden you wake up when your child is six and you're like, 
oh, I'm horny again. I mean, maybe, maybe for some people it does, but because the mother's brain chemistry changes so much when the amygdala and all these other things happen, our anxiety is higher, our, our, you know, consciousness and awareness about our surroundings and other people's needs. It's kind of like we go on high alert and that, that hypersensitivity can be great for protecting our child from harm, but it doesn't drop us into our bodies. And so we have to be really intentional about saying motherhood to me means being sexy. Motherhood to me means feeling good in my body. It means allowing myself pleasure. It means respecting my own needs. It means having a healthy partnership to show my children so that we can create a healthy family, which creates a healthy society versus, well, I'll just worry about my sexuality when they turn 18. And then, you know, I'll get a boob job and a tummy tuck and like hope that my partner and I can reconnect. It's like, nah, I don't know. That's a long time to go without without your sexual needs getting met and a lot of a big risk to take to hope that you can get it back when it's been so long. So um, yeah, that's kind of one of the the archetypes. And what I found is a lot of deep healing in so many ways with the mothers that I've worked with when they not only start having sex with their partner again, and they realize, oh, it's even better than before. I like being a mom. I have so many more things that are online, so many more skills and talents and ways to nurture and ways to connect. Like it's like they get to embrace all of these different aspects of them, the sexy part of them that may, they may or may not have been connected to their kind of maiden energy, their mother energy, also their witchy crone energy. I work a lot with clients with archetypes and coming up with their own archetypes that's customized to them or, you know, an archetype that's a little more traditional. And then they can work with those in their partnership and in their life to create in these ways that are really rich and meaningful and juicy. And I'm thinking about one client in particular who lives in LA and her husband said to me once, he said, um, you know, that course that she did with you was the best personal development work she's ever done. Like, yeah, she's had coaches and gurus and she's taken trainings about her chakras and all those things. But like, man, that really changed things in our relationship because Anyway, I could go on and on about it, but because when we when we decide to harness our erotic essence, it ripples out into all of our interactions. And it's the missing link. You know, a lot of people have either done superficial sex sex explorations like with toys or positions, but not gone deep into their sexuality, or they've gone really deep spiritually, like in the upper chakras, but they haven't brought all of that spiritual yumminess into their womb, into their yoni, into their G-spot, into their cervix, like there's just this whole treasure chest waiting for you. If you bring your spiritual energy down and all the insights and intuition that you have down into your, into your lady parts, the lady parts. Yeah. Well, let's talk about why that is because, you know, we're going to start to wrap soon, but I think that we would be remiss if we don't address trauma because in my experience, I have worked with survivors of sexual abuse at adult survivors for years. And there's a reason, there's a reason that, you know, there are many, I'm going to say women, there are lots of men too, but for the purpose of this discussion, there are a lot of women who have, um, have gone into the upper chakras or have, there's an archetype of women who are willing to go to certain places in the upper chakras, but they don't want to touch the lower chakras. They don't want to go into the deep, dark stuff because of trauma. So can you say a little bit about you know, what that looks like when a woman is avoiding that part, because it might not always look the same. And then, 
you know, what was your experience being willing to actually go there? Why were you willing to go there when so many people aren't? I know from my own experience and I can share about my clients as well, but I was in yoga teacher training and doing meditation courses and all these things. And yet at least once a week, I was getting triggered sexually and pushing my boyfriend away from me and feeling dry and shut down and disoriented. So even though I was exploring all of these things spiritually, it wasn't improving, improving my, my relational, you know, my relationships or my, or my sex life. And there's not to say anything wrong with yoga teacher training or um, meditation courses or any of that, but some of those things will take us away from the pain that we need to sit with. And again, it doesn't mean we have to like go back into any memories or find out why do I feel this way? And when is this from? And like, that's an analytical approach. And as you mentioned, these are all right brain tools, but the difference is now, and it's been so long since I've been triggered in sex, which is remarkable now that I think about it, but I don't think I've been triggered in a year or maybe a year and a half or two years. I can't even remember how long, but when I get triggered now, there's an awareness and a compassion that's holding me in that experience because of my relationship I've developed with my body and integrating my spirituality with my body and with my sexuality. So instead of me becoming dissociative or confused and pushing someone away, I can say like, I need to take a few breaths. Can we, can we change positions? Or I might just cry. I might not verbalize anything. I might just cry. I might just pound the floor or make a growl. I move the energy And then I don't have to go into the story about it. And then the trigger, you know, just kind of, just kind of dissipates. So for me, I could tell that I had made a lot of progress in my healing when I was able to sit with my triggers and invite my partner to be with me in in my triggers. And then to not even have to verbalize them or go into that because I realized it was just energy, but I wasn't trying to escape from what I was, you know, experiencing. And to be clear, you know, you worked with a somatic therapist for a long time and you you took a lot of action steps around assessing your trauma and healing in a way and do you feel like that you i guess my question is do you feel like you were willing to do that and go to kind of scary places because you you had a sense of just I know there's more for me here I just I I want more in my life in this area or was it a partner saying, I need this in order to stay? I, I, you know, what was it for you? Yeah. What I realized is that I was stuck in a pattern of not moving forward to the places I wanted to go in relationship. So my relationships weren't lasting and I wanted them to last all the way back to my marriage. You know, my marriage lasted four and a half years, but it didn't last a lifetime. Like I had wanted it to last. I didn't know at the time that it was because of my sexual trauma and all these other things, you know, that we talked about being in a sexless marriage. I knew there was other, other things going on, but there was a a pretty bad breakup, um, three or four years off, no, three years, maybe after my divorce. And that's when I realized I have to go to a therapist and, and start addressing some of these things. I had a sense of what was going on, that there was something I hadn't really looked at, but I, thought I didn't have to go there. I was like, Oh, I don't really have to go there. And I think a lot of women that reach out to me feel the same way. Like, Oh, I mean, we have sex every once in a while. I'm too busy to look at this right now. Can't I just get a free pass on this? I've looked at enough stuff (laughs) I've done. I've, I've checked the boxes. 
It's like, you know, you can't really get a free pass from this because it lives inside your nervous system and inside the tissues of your body. And um, to your point, I did about five years of somatic therapy, somatic experiencing, along with a bunch of other things that we've talked about, yoni eggs and tantra stuff and kink stuff. And um, uh, yeah, just parts work so many, so many different things, but there are some proven ways to reignite this part of your body, this part of your life. And it comes down to that willingness. doesn't mean you have to be willing to go into all the scary places right now, but just to take the next step, like, okay, I'm willing to take the next step to reach out to someone like Mel or me, or to reach out to a somatic experiencing person or, and then the, the key is it's, I think there's a phrase that says the only, um, thing you can't do on the path is to not start or not keep going. And that's kind of true. Like you have to start and then you have the opportunity to keep growing, keep going, but you get to decide the pacing and you get to make sure that it feels safe in your body. You get to pick practitioners that feel good for you and aligned that respect you. You get to choose partners who are attuned and consensual and all of that. But yes, you have to, you have to take this first step and you have to keep going. I think that's a good segue to as we start to close, you know, I think that it has become clear to me in my work with men that there is a need for, there is a need here. There is a need specifically for women who have sex with men who are either in relationship or not, but are aware, like I've got some stuff here. It's a little scary. I don't know exactly how to do this. And you and I are putting together a program for women like that. It's probably going to launch this fall. So within the next few months, and it's going to include community, right? So that you're not doing it alone and practical ways to do this. So you, Violet, have been down this path yourself physically with your body and guided a lot of women through that. And so there are going to be practical exercises and everything and community support. If you're interested in staying in the loop on that, you can just email me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. That's dearmenpodcast at gmail.com because I think that it can be scary and it can feel overwhelming to start. How do I even find someone? What are they going to make me tell them? You know, it's like there's, there is a balance, yes, between sharing and physical practices that you don't, you don't have to talk about it. And to your point, Violet, you've had many clients who have done, done practices and, and disclosed much later that, that they had trauma. They didn't have to, and they were getting results. They were getting results in their sex life, in their dating life, in their relationship life. So you don't have to talk about all the things right away. Your body mind is in charge. You get to go at the pace that is appropriate for you. And to me, that is the glory and the essence of the human being is that we are actually designed to do this. We are designed to grow. Our body mind does know how to do it and going too fast doesn't serve us. We're not, we're not going to rush you. That's not the point of this. The point is to go at the right pace, not to go at a fast pace. What we've seen is you can get results pretty quickly. And actually a lot of people do if you're actually doing the practices and leaning in, but you get to decide you are in charge. You have the power. And I think that's something that is often missed about something like trauma is yeah, it's about sexuality, but it's really about power. It's really about, you know, 
power in in a sense of autonomy and agency and you know my choice my my body my you know this is mine this is mine and i have choice so anything to add about that just that it is my absolute desire and wish and vision that every woman is connected to her erotic essence and feels worshiped in that and safe in that and that she's able to tap into that sense of power. You put it so perfectly that underlies all of this because, you know, your kids are going to grow up and your body's going to change and the world is going to change. And this is something that you get to experience for you, but then also have a, have as a gift to the world. And yes, absolutely. I would say the majority of my clients disclose part of their trauma or, you know, uh, a glossing over of their trauma. Some, some of them disclose all of it, which I'm super grateful for. Cause then it's just like, we know, we know it all from the, from the start, but most of us, because trauma doesn't live in a rational place in our brain, we can only kind of allude to it or get a half sense of it. So I don't need to know someone's nitty gritty detailed trauma in order for them to experience deep healing and hope and rejuvenation in their sex life. They just have to be willing, like you said, to show up and to, share where they're feeling resistant or share, you know, where they're at and, and keep doing the practices. So if you're interested in that, you can just email me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. We're still putting it together so we can keep you updated. And that goes for anyone who wants to forward this to someone, or, you know, if you're a man listening and you're also interested in just staying updated, you're included. Everyone's included in that staying updated on it. You don't have to know you're going to do it. It's just like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd like to, to be updated. And I will say that this is, this is a group for people. Maybe you're single, but you've had this experience in partnership in the past. So you don't have to be in partnership to join the group. You just have to want to develop and reclaim your erotic essence. It's for people in partnership with or without kids. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter what your current relationship looks like. It's just that desire for more and knowing that you're willing to deepen with a group of other people and individually too, you know, our vision with this is that we have group calls, but we also have individual sessions. You can have that one-on-one time to express whatever wants to come up in that smaller, more intimate container. Exactly. Yeah. And if you are interested in Violet's work, uh, you can find her at violetlang.com and We referenced the Yoni egg a few times in this episode. Violet and I have a separate episode on this podcast about overcoming sexual trauma. And we go into more detail on that. I can't remember the episode number at this time, but I will drop it in the show notes. If that's relevant to you, I would recommend that episode. I think there's a lot, there's a lot there. And if you are a man who is in relationship with someone with sexual trauma, or you suspect that might be happening and you're not sure kind of how to address it or how to deal with it or what, what, what that is. That's also a good episode for you. So I'll drop that in the show notes as well. I just want to say specifically about the Yoni egg that there have been a lot of women that have come to me saying, you know, I have a Yoni egg, but it's just kind of been sitting on the shelf or I'm too scared to use it. So if you're listening and you're like, yeah, the Yoni egg sounds great, but (laughs) just know that sometimes that is, sometimes that comes up And that's part of why it's important to focus on the safety in the body, the emotions in the heart, and then going into these sexual practices or or genital-based practices. 
Yeah, I would echo that. I've I've had sessions where the egg, like my body was like, don't want to do that right now. And it's like, well, that's the practice. The practice is not doing it. <laughs> that's that's just as legitimate as as doing it. It's not about forcing anything, like we keep saying. It's about agency and choice and actually listening to my body in that moment. Like, oh, that's a no. How do I feel about that? No, you know, am I blaming myself because I should be doing this other thing? Blah, blah, blah. And that's a really uh, that's a, that's an important sensual practice too. So thanks for mentioning that. 